Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, and all of our staff and pastors are so glad that you're with us, especially here with us for the very first time. If you're a guest with us, uh, whether you're in person or you're watching online, man, we're so happy that you're checking, uh, that you're checking Rise Church out. I always invite our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. Here's why I know when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So please come back and check us out. If you are watching online, we'd love for you to do a few things like comment, share. Hey, leave a just a, an emoji of how excited you are to be at church here in the chat and just kind of let us know you're there. Honestly, it helps us get through some of those social media algorithms to get the message of Jesus out. Uh, we're excited today because I don't get to preach and I'm excited because I get a break. And uh, we have uh, one of the, uh, our closest uh, really family members who are in, uh, who's going to be coming and preaching today. He's, uh, he's actually been a pastor in my life for almost 20 years and uh, love him to death. In fact, the reason I'm in ministry is because this man believed enough in me to see past who I was currently and to who what God can do, come on, sometime in the future. And uh, we all need just some people in our lives. I always tell people, be careful about the people you decide to live your life with. Uh, our relationships are so important. They're so vital. And uh, really, our destiny is determined by your relationships. And I'm excited to share one of the greatest relationships God put in my life today with you. And so if you're new with us, he's not new here. He's preached, he preaches here probably the most uh, outside of me or Pastor Jason uh, because he's one of uh, our church's favorite preachers. And he actually has a uh, church in California. His name is Todd Hendricks. And he has a church called New Beginnings Church. I actually worked at that church. I worked for him for many years and uh, loved it and thought it was amazing. In fact, funny story. You want to hear a funny story about him? So Because uh, he's going to tell a funny story about me, so i got to tell a funny story about him. So he, uh, he was, I just got to preach actually at their church in California in, uh, I think it was August or September. So we're out there and I'm preaching at his church. And you, the customary thing for all pastors to do, just so you kind of know there's like a thing, you kind of have to have customary things, right? So you get up and you've got a guest speaker come in. And so he's coming in and you want to like welcome him. So you're saying something about him. So he comes in and I'm like, hey, you know, man, uh, you know, so excited to, to preach. And so he's setting me all up. And what's funny is you're supposed to give him a hug. That's kind of the thing you do. So they get up on the platform, you give him a hug, just say, hey, I love you. Welcome to the team. You know, it's going to be amazing. You know, and then you kind of slingshot on your way out there. And so it's like, all right, so we're about to do that. And so he's setting me all up and I walk out to give him the hug and no lie he kind of just totally shuns me he goes nah just go ahead and preach and he does like the you know how like when you try to give a hug to someone and they just kind of go ah just go ahead you know and I was like man it took me 10 minutes to recover like I was like I don't know what to do is this Jesus and God and Bible you just start saying Jesus and hopefully it'll come out and uh, I had to recover from that so I'm giving you a hug today and so uh, uh, he's going to come up here and he's going to preach one of the best communicators I always tell him this all the time he's to, to me the one of the uh, best communicators in the country phenomenal communicator and I'm so excited before I invite him up I wanted to say one last thing to you guys um, I'm so proud of you as your pastor that you showed up at 1230 and give yourselves a hand clap that you're here go on say this is for you um, and, and so I'm so happy because, you know, what you guys are doing by choosing to be in this service is that you have opened up a chair for someone in the other services where, you know, statistics just kind of say, if you're a guest, you're not going to come to necessarily this service. You're going to come to a nine or an 11 or around those types of service times. And you have made a conscious decision to be an evangelist and be a servant and actually give up what you could do to be in here. And so I'm so proud of you. So thankful for you. Thank you for doing that. You are going to be blessed today. And uh, will you do me a favor here at our church? We, we stand and we honor. That's kind of we honor him. Him. Not because he's great, we honor him because you're great, and that's who our culture is. So do me a favor and stand up and help me welcome Pastor Todd Hendricks to the church as he preaches today. Come on, I'm giving you a hug. Please, please, please take a seat. Hey, I wanted to say I think that if I just if I had to choose a church service, I would be at this service. Like, what time do y'all wake up? 
I don't even know why you wouldn't come to this service. Maybe like depending on your football team and what, you know, what, what, maybe that, but like, I don't even know. San Antonio doesn't have a football team. So anyway, um, <laughs> Pastor Aaron, you're the best. Love you so much. Hey, this guy, again, he found me when you were, what, 19 years old? He walked in. I was a youth pastor. And I, I, again, I was a youth pastor. I'd preach in jeans and a T-shirt. And Pastor Aaron was 18, 19 years old. He walked in with a three-piece suit to a Wednesday night youth service, giant two-ton Bible like Grandma would have on her coffee table. And I'm like, what in the world are you doing? But he's stuck. He's, he's been with me ever since unbelievable memories, unbelievable just life experiences. This is how we know we've been together a long time. As a matter of fact, Tabby, do you have a picture of my family real quick here? This is what my family looks like. Um, yeah, look at that. That's good looking. That's called Photoshop is what that is. That looked good. But that's my family. But see the kid in the back? That's my son. Um, and he's actually squatted down right there to make me not look as bad. He's six foot five. Yeah, he's a, he's a healthy country fed kind of kid. Um, he's pretty big now. And so anyway, um, but when, when I met Aaron, Aaron came up to my wife who had a newborn. Now, if you know this woman, if you have a newborn and it's your first one, you don't let people touch your baby, right? And so literally he goes, oh, what a cute little baby. And he did one of them. And she went, wow, don't touch my baby. And that was the beginning of our relationship together. So anyway, that's my family. My wife's in town with me, and we've been having a great trip, and my kids are all wonderful at home, and everything's going good. So anyway, that's my world. My name is Todd, and it is just a pleasure to be hanging out with. I, I want you to know you have high expectations, though. You had the most sleep, which means I need the most energy from you. I've done this three times. I have the least amount of energy in the room. Y'all have the most. So I need, like, I need a good preach white boy. Come on, amen. Let it go, you know. Does anybody have a hanky? We could get real old school up in here and get a hanky out. Anyway, so, um, hey, I'm so happy to be with you, though. Again, Aaron and Erica are two of my favorite people in the whole world. Love hanging out with them. They are, they are dear friends and family. Those are lifers. Me and Aaron like to say bad boys for life. We ride together. We die together, you know. So anyway, it's a pleasure. I do feel like I'm at home here. Every time I've ever been here, you're nothing but kind and sweet and wonderful and encouraging. You are amazing. So thank you for letting me be here with you. It's going to be a fun trip here because I'm going to take you on a ride this morning. Um, I want to just, can, can I just, I'm going to teach you the whole Bible in 29 minutes. Does, is that, you don't believe me, but watch, this is going to be so good. I'm going to take you on a journey here. Now, men, listen real quick here. I'm going to say a lot and tell a lot of stories. You're going to be tempted to zone out at some point. And then later, after church, your wife is going to be like, what was the sermon about, honey? This is all you have to remember. God is kinder than you think, and he's closer than you think. So if you need to tweet something, or if your wife asks you a question, because this is what I would do. When I was a kid, and I would zone out in church, I noticed that y'all have really elaborate, look up everywhere, you see these weird chandelier things? This is what I would do. When I was a kid going up in church, I grew up in a Baptist church that had giant chandeliers. And when you got bored, you would look at the chandelier and you'd look down and you'd be like, it'd land on her. And you would figure out who the chandelier would land on. Did y'all not do that? Okay, whatever. So that's just what I would do as a kid. Uh, So anyway, so if you get caught looking at chandeliers or zoning out or checking the football score, all you have to remember, he is kinder than you think. He is closer than you think. Are you ready? Let's go on a ride together. Because life is about expectations sometimes. And I think sometimes in life people set you up because they gave you false expectations, right? Like you've ever had somebody recommend a movie and go on and on and on about how great that movie is? And then you watch that movie and you're like, it wasn't that good. 
I feel like you set me up to be disappointed now. You know, this new song just dropped. This new whatever. Oh, this new restaurant. You go to the restaurant and there's a hair in your food. You're like, no, this is not. You set me up for this, right? And so in life, sometimes you get set up to be disappointed because they overhype and they underdeliver. Your pastor did this to me. Watch this. Pastor Aaron is an amazing storyteller, isn't he? He tells us some of the funniest stories about his life or his kids or his whatever. Do you know why he's a great storyteller? It's because I shamed him into being a great storyteller. Because there was this one time, we were working together at the time, and we, he got in the car with me. And as he gets into the car, he stops. He goes, Pastor, have I got a story to tell you? Now, when somebody says that, what are you expecting? I mean, I'm expecting something pretty crazy, pretty wild, like, oh my gosh, what happened? And so this whole time, he starts telling me this story about how he went shopping. <laughs> And I thought, okay, well, this is going to go somewhere. There's got to be like, you know, the robbers come in and hold the place up with guns. I mean, that's the way he set it up. And so then he tells me, well, then we left that store and we went to another store. And I'm like, well, something had to happen on the way. Maybe, maybe like fire trucks or cows flew out of the sky or you know, something, something cool happened. No, we went to this other store and then we went to this store and then we bought this one. But then we returned it and later we just, we didn't buy anything. And, that, and he gets to the end of the story and I'm still waiting on something amazing. And I said, literally, is that... Is that the whole story? You've just wasted 15 minutes of my life that I can never get back with the most boring story I have ever heard in my life. And you set me up to be so angry right now because when you get in the car you, you, and you open with something like, man, have I got a story for you? And then you just tell me you went shopping? And that's the story? I'm angry as a human being, right? And so Aaron, Aaron overhyped and underdelivered in that moment. But every once in a while, and it's very rare, I think, have you ever had somebody like set you up for something and it did not meet the expectation, but it exceeded it? How many know that's really rare? Like how many times in life have you ever been like, you know, I thought it would be pretty good. It blew my mind good. That's how good it was. I, the, the only thing I can think of recently is Pebble Beach. I had a friend of mine invite me to go play golf. He knew I'm a big golfer. And he invited me to go play Pebble Beach. And if you don't know, Pebble Beach is ranked the number one public golf course in the country. It really is the most beautiful thing in the world. And I thought it would be cool. And when I'm there, I was like, oh, I felt like it was magical. I'm like, this is what the Garden of Eden would be if the Garden of Eden were alive today in America. Pebble Beach is the most beautiful place I've ever been. It feels magical. It feels majestic. It feels so beautiful. It's so wowing. There's these holes where you hit and you're literally hitting along the ocean as the waves are crashing up. I mean, it's just the most beautiful, majestic, wonderful thing. And I remember when I was there, I was like, this is better than I ever imagined that it could be. And that's what I want to share with you today is this, is that whatever you think about God, Whatever you think about the Bible, whatever you think about this thing called the gospel, I'm going to tell you right now, it's better than you think it is. Now, let me tell you some stories. Are you ready? So I'm going to take you on a journey. I'm going to take you through the Bible twice. Are you ready? Here we go. Everybody say this. Everybody say Abraham. So the Bible begins in the book of Genesis, and one of the biggest figures of the Old Testament is Abraham. He's such a big deal that the three major religions of the world point back to him. Islam, Judaism, Christianity, they all go back to him. He was so famous that Children's Church wrote a song about him. Do you all remember this song? Come on, Didi, give it to me. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. Y'all are the best. Y'all are the best. Second service was weak sauce. I'm not even sure them are saved people. So... So anyway, so Father Abraham, it's a big deal, right? So let me tell you about Father Abraham. Abraham lived thousands of years ago in an unbelievably primitive, 
almost archaic type, like, oh my gosh, that's what these people did? That's what these people thought like? Check this out. Abraham lived in a day uh, where they worshiped the sun, right? He was from Ur of the Chaldees. He, he came from the land of sun worshipers. Because in the primitive world, when you did not know where God was, you just made stuff up, right? So like, hey, where is God? Well, we think he's up, right? Remember when you were a little kid? Did you ever do it when you were a little kid? Where did God live? Up. He was above the clouds, right? This is how people thought thousands of years ago. Where is God? Because what's the most powerful thing that we know of? It's up in the sky. It's called the, the sun. And they worship the sun, right? And so that was common for them. And so Ur the Chaldees is a sun worshiper because God lives up. And then they noticed that the sun was the most powerful thing during the day, but there was something else that was up in the middle of the night that was very powerful. It was called the moon. And they made this observation that the moon had a different kind of power because they noticed that the, the observation was that the moon had a 28-day cycle and it repeated itself. Now, what else has a 28-day cycle? And all the men are like, wait a minute, I don't understand. Men don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Ladies, there's like one man and he's like, a, he's on point. Okay, so women. Women operate on a 28-day cycle. Men, I don't know if y'all know that. Because right. this is what they would recognize. They would look up at the moon and track the moon, and they would be like, the moon is controlling the women because sometimes they're crazy, and sometimes they're okay. And he's con the moon god must be controlling fertility because there's something about moon and women and fertility and the cycle. And so, so anyway, the moon ruled the evening and the women, and the sun ruled the day, and God is where? Very primitive idea. And that's where God is, right? So... If you fast forward in time, the next major figure of the Bible is Moses. Everybody say Moses. Moses. Now, Moses has a new revelation of where God is. Because Moses runs into this bush that's on fire, which is weird, right? And remember, he was living in Egypt at the time, and they worshipped the sun as well. And they believed that the sun and the fire were destructive in nature. And Moses had a revelation where he saw a bush that was on fire, but the bush was not destroyed. And maybe, just maybe, God doesn't destroy things. Maybe God uses his fire to refine things. And out of this bush, God says, hey, I am... And, he, and there's this weird, weird thing. It's called Yuhei It's four Hebrew letters. It's the Hebrew name, the personal name of God. And Moses is like, well, what does that mean? And God says, well, my name is Yudhei which means the Lord, the Lord, the kind, the compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love God which is a major revelation. So now we know what God is like and where God is and what the nature of God. We're getting a glimpse of that. And so Moses said, no longer does God live up in the air. Actually, God lives in a tent now. Remember, they built this thing called the tabernacle. It was 45 feet long, 15 foot wide, 15 high fence. There was a God box in the middle. Remember Indiana Jones? You open up the God box at the wrong time, everybody's face melts off. It's not theology 101, but it's, it's something. You know, and so anyway, so so Moses said, God is no longer up. God lives in a tent. And now God's presence is in the middle of our camp. And he's with us uh, when our enemies attack. And he's with, with us as we wander through the desertness and as we go back into the promised land. Now God has become closer. So remember what I told you earlier, that the revelation of God is that God keeps getting kinder. God keeps getting closer because he used to be up and now he's in a tent. Now, the next big figure of the Bible is David. Everybody say David. David. Now, David has this issue, right? Because now they're in Jerusalem, they're in the promised land, but all they have is a tent. And David would travel to other foreign lands, and when he would go there, they would say, hey, this is our God, and here's the elaborate temple that he lives in. But when David went home and people came to visit him, they would say, hey, where is your God and where does he live? And he had to say, well, my God lives in a tent. 
which was kind of lame in comparison. So David was like, that's it. This tent is not good enough. 15 by 15 by 45 covered in goat hair. That's not good enough for our God. We're going to build a billion dollar structure called the temple. And he starts the campaign to build the temple because now God doesn't live in a tent. He's not mobile. He is permanently with us. God is now living in a temple. Are you tracking with me so far? God keeps getting a little bit closer. He gets so close that next, this is the big deal. Are you ready? Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. In the days of Jesus, God got even closer. Because Jesus showed up and made these radical claims and said, God doesn't live in a box. Don't be ridiculous. Actually, I am God, and God is now living in flesh in your midst. Remember John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. A few verses later, it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among them. So now where is God? God lives in flesh. This was mind-blowing. Like this was complete mind-blowing revelation. God is getting so much closer. We literally can see what it's like to have God in a body to show us how to live an abundant life in a kingdom way. And he lived the ultimate life that became his death and resurrection and sacrifice for all of humanity. God has become unbelievably close. And he even dropped some hints of where it was going because he said this. He said, after I leave, I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit to you, and he will be with you and he will be in you. What? So the apostles picked up on this and they were like, let me tell you what the new revelation is. The new revelation is that God is so completely close that he lives inside of you. That's why the apostle Paul said, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So even in the, even in the early days of the Roman Empire, remember Rome was so anti-Christian and they were persecuting the Christians? When, when they would find a Christian, they would say, who is your God? And they would say, Jesus. And then they would say, well, where is his temple? And they would say, you're looking at it because he lives in me. This is the revelation is that God keeps getting closer and closer and closer. Are you ready? Watch this. Let's do it again. Not only does God get closer, God also gets kinder. Let's go back to Abraham. Everybody say Abraham. Abraham. We're not going to sing the song again. I know you want to. We're not going to do it. In the days of Abraham, God lived up. Very primitive idea. One of the questions that you struggle with was, is like, well, how do I know I'm right with God? Right? How do I know God is happy? How can I get God to send the rain? You know, that, that kind of thinking, right? And so how do I be made right with God was the question. You know what their answer was? Nobody knew. And again, what do we do when we don't know what to do? We make up things. So they came up with this barbaric notion. That if you need God to send the rain, if you need God to, to do something on your behalf, you need to cut yourself. So they started self-mutilation. And all through history, this is littered with all the ancient primitive religions of the world. They just start cutting themselves until literally, and watch this. Well, how much do we cut? Nobody knew. So you know what they would do? They just keep cutting until the rain came. And that's fine if you live in Seattle. It's not good if you live in Iraq. Like, that's a bad place. People walking around with no limbs because they keep cutting because they're trying to figure out how God will send the rain and how am I right with God? And God must be angry and that's why he's holding the rain back. And so they cut themselves. You know the other thing they did? They eventually figured out that cutting themselves really didn't work that well. They needed even bigger sacrifice. So they came up with this very ancient, archaic, brutal, barbaric, primitive idea called child sacrifice. Because they were like, clearly God's not sending the rain. We're not giving up enough and sacrificing enough. You know what we need to do? We need to sacrifice our, sacrifice our firstborn child. And again, this is common in the primitive world. You can read it in the history books. So God, in the midst of this primitive world, speaks and says, stop it. This is ridiculous, right? That's what, 
Have you ever wondered where did circumcision come from? The reason why God gave Abraham circumcision was the idea that saying, hey, look, I get it. You in your head are fixated on the idea that you need to cut something. Fine, I'll give you something. You get to cut something one time and that's it. You can't do it twice, right? You don't get to keep cutting that. It's just one of them and you're done, right? And this was really, really way of God being kind because rather than just cutting endlessly, it's one time forever you're done, right? That child sacrifice thing. Remember the story where Abraham took his son Isaac up to a high place. Why do you go to a high place? Because God is up. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and when God told Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar, do you know what Abraham said? Okay. You know, because like in Abraham's day, it was the most common thing in the world. This is what you did. And if you have a teenager, you're like, I get it. That makes sense to me. Like I, I, could, I, could, I could see. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but I could see, you know. And so so Abraham takes Isaac up onto a high place because God lives up and he gives him a sacrifice because that's what you do in Abraham's day. And God says, stop it. That's ridiculous. As a matter of fact, there's a little furry quadruped over in the corner over there. Go get that thing. Rather than you killing your kids, why don't I give you this thing called animal sacrifice? So if you ever wondered, like, why, did God, why was God so barbaric that God needed you to kill a little lamb to feel better about yourself? And the answer is he didn't. You needed it. That's what the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, that God gave you animal sacrifice, not because God needs you to kill a lamb, how ridiculous, but you needed it to appease your own consciousness. It's, it's a crazy thought, right? So remember, so in the days of Abraham, God shows up and he takes something that's really brutal and he makes it so much kinder. Does that make sense? Because think about this, like one time now, one sacrifice, that's it. Now let's move forward to the next guy, Moses. Everybody say Moses. So remember, Moses had a new revelation of God that he was even kinder and even closer. And so Moses wrote a book called Leviticus. How many have read Leviticus? Maybe. I don't even know that I fully believe you guys or not. <laughs> Most people that read the Bible in a year, they, they're forced to, but they skim a lot through Leviticus. But let me tell you the brief. In Leviticus, there's a law that says you can't cut yourself anymore. You can't mutilate. And you can't do child sacrifice. So Moses is like, we are totally getting rid of that. And how, were you know, how did you know that you were made right with God in Moses' day? Well, Moses wrote it down. You need to circumcise on the eighth day that you're born. And as a family, you need one sacrifice per year per family. That's it. Oh my gosh, that's so... Do you see how much kinder that is? Okay, think about circumcision on the eighth day and why that's so much kinder. Do you know how old Abraham was when God told him about circumcision? 90. That's different. Can you imagine if Pastor Aaron was like, hey, everybody, men's meeting on Wednesday night, got a new thing. So it's circumcision. Okay, guys, we're going to do this. Nobody's coming, right? Nobody's coming to that. But Moses is like, we're going to do this when you're eight so you can't remember anything. This is way, way kinder. Plus, here's the problem. Have you ever thought about this? When you're 90 years old, you have shaky hands. So this is not the time to do this. this. So, so Moses makes it so much kinder. He brings it in closer. Are you following me so far? So what did you, in the days of Moses, what did you have to do to be made right with God? Circumcision, and then one sacrifice per family per year. Oh my gosh, this is so much better. This is so much kinder. Watch this. We move forward to the days of David. Now in David's day, God lives in a temple now, but the rules stay the same. Circumcise when you're eighth day, and then one sacrifice per family per year. It's still really kind, but watch this. In the days of the kings... These men came along called prophets, and they started making observations, and they started challenging the current theological notion of the day. So like Micah, for example, shows up and it was like, hey, I don't think God cares about you killing lambs and animal sacrifice. That's not what God cares about. 
Do you know what you're actually required to do? Actually just, just do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. That's what God requires. God doesn't need you to kill an animal. And they so loved Micah's new theology that they killed him for it. Because Christians get upset when you mess with their theology. You know what I'm talking about? They got angry at Micah and they killed him. And so, so but Jesus takes that idea from Micah and even leaps forward even further. So let's go to the, late, the days of Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. Jesus. So in Jesus' day, remember, the only way you could be made right with God was to go to the temple to do a ritual and to make a sacrifice, right? And Jesus starts breaking all their rules. And they didn't like that he did that either. So for example, this one time, there's this prostitute who shows up to a dinner party and it says that she's washing Jesus's feet with her hair, which now apparently there's a new precedent. The way that you're made right with God is that you have to wash Jesus's feet with your hair. Rick, you and I are never getting into heaven if that's the prerequisite, right? We, we, I don't got that, right? And so, but in the midst of this moment, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. <gasps> what? But she didn't go to the temple. She didn't do a ritual. She didn't make a sacrifice. Jesus, how can you say that she is now forgiven? It's because Jesus can do whatever he wants, right? If you can predict your own death, resurrection, pull it all off, we'll, just, we'll listen to whatever you say too, right? So, so Jesus says, no, we're doing away with this. You don't have to go to the temple and make a sacrifice anymore. I'm changing the rules of the game. Well, he does it again. Watch this. There's a guy named Zacchaeus who, again, is a traitor to the nation of Israel, Jesus shows up to his house and gives him love and grace. His life is so transformed and he's so moved. He goes, you know what? I'm going to give back all that money. I'm going to pay back people I ripped off and, and I'm going to help the poor. I'm do and Jesus says, today salvation has visited your house. But he didn't go to the temple and he didn't make a sacrifice. And here's Jesus. He's getting really kind, kinder than you ever thought. Because do you know who they do not let into the temple? Prostitutes. You know who else they don't let into the temple? tax collectors. These guys weren't even allowed in. And Jesus is saying, we're no longer confined to a temple because God is closer than you think. And you don't have to kill an animal anymore because God is kinder than you think. The whole thing is moving forward. And this is what we call good news. This is the gospel story. And the fear that I have is, is that sometimes as, as church leaders and pastors, we reduce the gospel down to something so boring and so mundane that when we invite people into it, they're in and they're like, this is below my expectations, right? Because if the gospel's reduced down to come to church, we'll give you a new set of rules so that when you die, you can go to church for eternity. Yeah. I'm sorry, that's a poor version of the gospel. That's not working. But what if I showed you that the gospel is all about not your attempt to get to God, but God's attempt to get to you, that he keeps moving closer and he keeps moving kinder. And what if, what if this is not a new thing? What if this was what God was always like? What if God was always as close as this? What if God has always been this kind? And it wasn't me that was, was, God was changing. It was me growing in my understanding of who God was. Because watch this, the apostles do something even more radical. They come to the conclusion, I think by the Holy Spirit, that this whole thing about God being this close and God being this kind, this is not a new revelation. This is actually an old revelation that we've just begun to understand. Are you ready? Because they made some radical claims. And the radical claim was simply this. This has been going on since before the beginning of time. Are you ready? I'm going to read you some scriptures. I want to show you what I'm talking about here. So number one is this. Let's read this one. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. For he chose us in him when? 
before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. So wait a minute, before creation, you, were, you, were already, you already had me in your mind? You already had this thing figured out? You already thought this thing through? 1 Peter 1.20, He was chosen before Jesus. Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Do you see now? This, this, was, this wasn't a new thing. This was an old thing that we were finally able to fully embrace and discover. Watch, this This is maybe the best one. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Jesus has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. I need you to chew on that one for a second. I want you to consider the fact that you're here today, not because of your own, but because God was doing up to doing something because just he's that kind, he's that good, and this is his purpose. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus when? Before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has now destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The gospel idea is that this is what God has always been. God has always been close and he has always been kind. You have to remember that the apostles told you that God actually lives in you now. But in the book of Acts, Paul gets up and preaches a sermon. And and it says that when they asked him where God was, he goes, don't you know that it's in him we live and move and have our being. So in some weird way, God lives in me and I'm living in God. And that's how close this thing is. See, this is the problem I think that so many of us wrestle with is that we want to experience God's presence and we're, we're unaware that God is filling all things, that he's in all places at all times. And yet, if he's there all the time, why is there a disconnect and why can't I always sense God's presence? I'll give you a story to illustrate this. They took a wall-eyed pike, a fish, and they stuck him in an aquarium. And in the aquarium, they would dump minnows into this aquarium to feed the fish and he would just have his way and eat lunch, dinner, do whatever he wants. And once the fish got comfortable, they changed the experiment. They put a glass partition or glass wall right down the middle of the aquarium. And then they put the minnows on one side, but the pike was on the opposite side. And so what does the fish do? Well, he tries to go get the minnow and go eat like he's always eaten before, but he keeps bumping into the glass and he can't get to the minnow. And he does this over and over and over again until eventually he does what? Quits. He gives up. So they let this go on until he gets comfortable in this new environment. And then they remove the glass partition. And they put in some new minnows. You know what the pike does? Nothing. The minnows cross over to the other side. Pike does nothing. The minnows literally brush up against his gills. The pike does nothing. And the pike eventually dies of starvation. And they're blown away by how this little fish is surrounded by everything he ever needed. But he doesn't know how to access it. That's you and I right there. I want you to know that God is in all places and at all times and is filling all things and he dwells within you while you dwell within him and he's closer than I can even imagine. That's just my best way of using English words to try to describe something that's well beyond my ability to understand. And many of you are, we're living this life where God is all around us and he's filling all things and what our issue is not his presence. Our issue is our awareness. And all I want you to do is to walk out of this place today thinking, you know what? Maybe God is bigger and greater and closer and kinder than I ever imagined. So when you walk out of this place and somebody asks you, what was the sermon about? You're going to say, well, I just found out that God was kinder than I thought and God was closer than I thought. And somebody might be tempted to respond and be like, well, that seems pretty simple. But you're going to be like, no, it's bigger than you ever imagined. And so today you don't walk out of here with a point of list and of things to do on a practical nature. All I wanted you to do was expand your mind to say maybe God is bigger, greater, closer, and kinder than I ever imagined.